Well, look with me today to Psalm 92. That's where we're going to be going this morning, Psalm 92. And remember this original question that we asked weeks ago. And the question is this, are you flourishing? Are you flourishing? You Welchel, this man who is actually suffering from ALS, who just wrote his book on flourishing in life, in the middle of that, said this, all human behavior is motivated by the desire for life and flourishing. Every person has a powerful, relentless drive to experience shalom through right relationships with God, families, communities, and creation. We all want that. We all want flourishing. We all want that, but God wants that even more for us. That's God's heart for us in flourishing. And that's where we began this series those many weeks ago, Living Well in God's World. We began rooting all of our flourishing in God's creative purpose and in our true identity as image bearers made in the image of God. We discovered that peace and well-being and power and goodness are key words for what God wants for us. We saw that we're to be Noah's, promoters of God's flourishing in our world and seeking the flourishing of others, that that is part of the creation mandate for us where power is used selflessly for that purpose. We were warned to watch out for those lies that draw us in, that cause us not to trust God, seeking a false flourishing that is self-referenced versus God-centered. We remembered life can be a savage, tinging our souls, pain and suffering, stealing from us. And that denying those things is not flourishing. Pretending that doesn't happen is not flourishing. Because God wants to meet us right there with his presence because we discover that God himself is our flourishing. And we need to make space for him. And that God's plan for dealing with evil is not the destruction of evildoers, but the redemptive presence of those who live in faithfulness and righteousness, seeking the well-being of the places God has sent. So what is it that we see in all of that over all these weeks? This is what we see. Flourishing is God's intended norm for his prized creation. Flourishing. And this is what that sounds like. In Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15, we read these words. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in him. But it all comes back to this. Are you flourishing? Do you hear that in this psalm? He, he talks about flourishing for all of life, and these words, they will stay fresh. They will keep bearing fruit. Their life will keep proclaiming that the Lord is the rock. Are you flourishing? Better yet, 
How do we practice, how do we cultivate a life, an attitude of flourishing? Well, Psalm 92 is a psalm about flourishing, and it offers this hint. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name almost high, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. It is good to praise the Lord. Why is it good? Ask yourself that question today. Why is it good to praise the Lord? You see, at the heart of the flourishing, as we read in this psalm, is staying attentive to God and what God has done for us. All flourishing, true flourishing, as the psalm tells us, is rooted in the lavish and abundant faithfulness and love of God. If you remember, we looked at John 3, 1 John 3, 1, and we read these words. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. See what great love. What is to be our response to that? What is your response? What is my response to that? Well, the response we're to have is the practice of gratitude. Why does God repeatedly repeatedly in Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, call for his people to be thankful. God doesn't suggest we be thankful. God commands we be thankful. Why does God command repeatedly for his people to be thankful? Words like this, Psalm 107 verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Or the message paraphrase says it this way, Oh, thank God he's so good his love never runs out. Or in the New Testament, Paul writes, Give thanks in all circumstances. Did he really write that? I mean, give thanks in all circumstances? Did he really? I mean, really? Was Paul living in the real world? Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It's interesting to me when people say, I, I don't know what God's will is. Sometimes I'll say to them, start with what you know. Well, here's one place that we know this is the will of God. There's not a lot of places where the Bible says this is the will of God. Here's one that says this is the will of God. Be a thankful person. Why does the Bible command that over and over and over? Simply because gratitude activates flourishing in our lives. Gratitude is one of the things that activates flourishing in our lives. Now there has been a whole lot, an abundance of social scientific research that concludes that gratitude helps us flourish. In fact, in a list of character strengths, researchers found that gratitude is one of the core character strengths of a life that flourishes. Dr. Robert Emmons is considered the world's expert on gratitude. I didn't know there was a world's expert on gratitude. But Dr. Emmons, who teaches at UC Davis, he's considered the world's expert on gratitude, and he suggests that we need to do this. Number one, we need to recognize the good. We need to see it. We need to look for it. And then he says, we need to appreciate the good. We need to savor it. What do you do with the good things that happen in your life? How do you savor them? And we're going to come back to one way to do that, but 
ask yourself, what are you savoring today of God's goodness? And, and then he says, we're to acknowledge the good. We're to speak it. Part of the reason for praise and thanksgiving is that we speak the good, and that opens us up to the reality of God. We are to acknowledge the good. So we hear the world's leading secular authority on gratitude telling us that. Now, where else have we heard stuff like that? What about these words? Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever have you learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace, the God of shalom, the God of flourishing will be with you. In the 16th century, Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuit order, taught his monks and his people to practice what's called examine every day. And at the end of their day, they would look at a series of questions or reflections. It was basically summarized in five of them. He'd say, first of all, give thanks. Give thanks for the gifts you've given at the end of the day. And then ask God to reveal where he's been at work and present in your day. And then examine the day. Look at the day. Notice how you interacted with your emotions and your mind with God in that day. What did you feel through that day? Then fourth, ask for God's forgiveness. Because he knew you needed to be honest and open and vulnerable with God in that way if it needs to happen. And lastly, it wasn't about that day. It was about the next day. Trust God for the next day. That God was going to meet you in the next day. That God is for us in the next day. But Ignatius was insistent that the most important part of this practice of examine at night was thanksgiving, was to reflect back and record and savor, see, savor, even speak to yourself the things that you saw, the gifts and the blessings of the day. That's a very practical way to activate, if you will, flourishing. You see, the 21st century social science research is actually late to the party. Everything that they're discovering, everything they're talking about when it comes to gratitude, it's been happening in Scripture from the beginning and carried through in history. A Christian researcher by the name of Dr. Jane Wilson who taught at Westmont College she points out the benefit of research. She studied gratitude and its impact on learning and how students learned better, had a better capacity for learning when they were thankful. And she said there are these certain benefits. The first one is there are emotional benefits to gratitude. Experiencing these grateful people experience more positive emotions than negative ones. And here's something, here's a key word for today. This is the R word, R word for our day. There, were great, there was greater resilience in dealing with the ups and downs of life for those who are grateful. If there's something we need, it's resilience. We need resilience of soul, resilience of mind, resilience of heart, resilience of will. And one course, one way towards that is this place of gratitude. Emotional benefits, there's relational benefits. They found that grateful people have stronger relationships with friends and family members 
and co-workers and others, and that those people viewed that person as a value and a support to their life. And then there's physical benefits. Grateful people had more improved energy. I am going to start thanking God from now until I go to bed, because I need some energy. Our two-year-old granddaughter was with us yesterday, and let me tell you, at the end of that day, I said to myself, I'm done. 7.45, I was going, I need to find some place of recovery right now. Grateful people actually exercised more in the study. They had sounder sleep. They had fewer health issues. And, and get this, they attended work more faithfully and it improved their attendance at work. And then this study pointed out that the part of your brain that deals with focus, the amygdala, would calm down as you give thanks, allowing us to focus more. Doesn't that help us focus more on God? Comes to the spiritual benefits. A deeper awareness and connectedness to God belonged to the people who were grateful. There was a greater level of commitment to their faith and a deeper peace. They also, more grateful people, became people of generous grace to other people. So what was the social scientist's conclusion? Well, back to Dr. Emmons, he said this, gratitude has the power to heal, energize, and transform lives. If someone came up to you today, you walked out of here, and they said to you, listen, I, I, I have one thing that will, that will heal, energize, and transform your life. Would you take, take them up on that offer? I, I have this. Would you take them up? Well, let's look at one more part of this research. Research shows gratitude's source. They say that 50% of gratitude comes from your disposition. It, it comes from your genetic makeup disposition. There are some people who just by disposition, they're more grateful than other people. Okay. 10% of gratitude comes from positive circumstances. You can talk to the most ungrateful person in the world, and if they're having a good day, they may be grateful. But 40% of gratitude is driven by an intentional choice. I want you to hear that. 40% of gratitude is not by chance based on circumstances. It's not because you say, well, that's, that's the way I am. It's one of the biggest excuses sometimes we use, Right? Amen? Well, that's the way I am. But rather, there's this part of us, as we exercise our God-given agency, which is the ability to choose, as we exercise our ability to choose to give thanks, it powerfully impacts the, the activation of flourishing in all things. Gratitude opens us up to the flourishing life we've been talking about. This is such an important part of everything we've been talking about. Thomas Merton, in this rather long quote, said it better than I could ever say it. To be grateful is to recognize the love of God in everything he has given to us. And he has given us everything. He has given us everything. Could you say that with me? He has given us everything. Every breath we draw is a gift of his love. 
Every moment of existence is grace, for it brings with us immense graces from him. Gratitude, therefore, takes nothing for granted. Hear that. It takes nothing for granted. It is never unresponsive. It is constantly awakening to new wonder and to praise of the goodness of God. For the grateful person knows that God is good, not by hearsay, but by experience. And that is what makes all the difference. You see, that, that gratitude, that gratitude impacts my experience of God. That gratitude impacts my sense of God. That gratitude impacts my encounter with God. Now, one way to understand how this activates flourishing is to see what happens with an ungrateful heart. Think to yourself, I wonder what the consequences or the results of an ungrateful heart would look like. What does an ungrateful heart produce? I have these words in my office posted from Erwin McManus. He writes, when you're ungrateful, all you see is everything that's gone wrong. And no matter how much someone does for you, no matter how much someone does for you, it's never enough. Because when you're ungrateful, your soul is like a black hole. It consumes all the light, and it leaves only darkness. Amen? Isn't that true? It's been true for me when I find myself getting ungrateful, when I find myself being focused on what is wrong, when I don't make that choice to be thankful, my mind goes to worst-case scenarios, the negative things, the cataclysmic things. Scripture bears this out. You know, in Romans 1, where we see this digression, it's really not a progression, it's a digression of, from what God made us to be to the impact of sin in the life of people. Paul writes this, the New Living Translation puts it this way in verse 21. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. Next part of that says, so they had all kinds of mixed up feelings and thoughts about God. And then it says, as a result, their minds became dark and confused. You see what happens when I shut off gratitude in my life? I have a misperception of who God is. I begin to wonder if God's going to show up in my life. I, I begin to think, well, you know, maybe this God stuff doesn't matter. I, I begin to believe that all of this is just another option in the culture for me to choose, rather than my very life that depends on it. As we just sang about, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my life, Lord. Well, you see, that goes away when we shut off gratitude. Between the Old Testament time and the New Testament time, there were all kinds of writings in that 500, 600-year period. They're known as the Apocrypha. And these words are found in those writings. They're not Scripture, but there's some wisdom in them. Listen to this. The hope of an ungrateful person will melt like wintry frost and flow away like wastewater. That's a powerful 
thought for me today. If you want to understand how thanksgiving activates flourishing, think about what an ungrateful heart does. And you know, most often what an ungrateful heart is, it's focused on itself. When I get really ungrateful, I'm thinking about me first, right? But when I'm grateful, where's my direction? Where's my focus? So let's look at how to counteract that. How do we counteract that ungratefulness that leads us to a better place of flourishing? How do we counteract that? Well, we go back to Philippians. The words I'm about to share with you are so familiar that we almost disregard them. We go, oh yeah, I know that. I know that. Oh yeah, pastor, yeah, I already know that. Let me, give me something else more exciting in the Bible. I know that. But these words that we read are not written from some great place of flourishing that we would all want. Because most often, as we said early on in the series, it's all, a lot of this depends on how we define flourishing. And most of the time we define flourishing according to our definitions of flourishing, not God's. But here's Paul, writing from prison. You know the story. He doesn't even know if he's going to live the next day. In many ways, he's been abandoned. The reason why he's writing these Philippians, one of the reasons why, is because they haven't abandoned him. They've given him gifts, and they've been loving him and friends. I mean, he's writing this book. This book is known as the book of thanksgiving and rejoicing, the book of Philippians. But he offers us this kernel, and just don't let your familiarity with it cause you to miss the power of what he's talking about. Remember that 40% is by what we choose? Rejoice. That's a command, by the way. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. My friends, rejoice. The Lord is near to us. Amen? It's true. It's the truth. We said, sing, speak what's true. Sing what's true. We just sang that. Speak what's true. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, the shalom of God, the Greek word is arene, this wholeness from God, which transcends all understanding. When the world looks at you and says, how can you have peace? Well, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Too often we've taken that verse, that passage of Scripture, and we think that that suddenly fixes all the circumstances. When the reality was, as Paul labeled that, he spoke that, he said that, and not one thing of his circumstances changed. Some days, my friends, gratitude flows with ease. Some days, gratitude flows with ease. On other days, it feels like harsh discipline. On some days, gratitude feels like the hardest sacrifice I have to make. On some days, gratitude makes the least sense. On some days, but remember this, gratitude is not intended to be some kind of denial of hard things or soul-crushing suffering or painful experiences. 
Because when grief descends, and when disappointment snares, and when fears want to overcome us, it's hard. It's hard. There was a point in recent weeks where this great sadness descended upon me for two days. I was sad about the brokenness of someone I love. And it just came in crushing upon me. And I felt like the Holy Spirit said this to me. I felt like he said, Jeff, do nothing about this. Don't try to fix this. Don't try to make it better. But embrace this. Because that's how I feel about the situation. And there I sat. I thanked him, but I didn't feel like it. I thanked him. It didn't improve. It wasn't some magical, let's take two or three points to flourishing program. I felt that same way when I walked into my sister's home in Florida that had just been destroyed by Hurricane Ian. I held my sister Diane in her, what was her kitchen. And this sadness came over me. And I felt that way after preaching on Easter Sunday morning on 2021 to go home that afternoon and join my family on Zoom as my father died. Some days, gratitude feels like a harsh discipline. But gratitude was also and is also part of the path through my sadness. In my sadness, in my grief, in our grief, in your grief, in your sadness. It's a key to resilience. We've been saying this all along for several weeks now. We live in a world that doesn't look like flourishing, looks more like withering, and God calls us to flourish in that. That's not talking about how big my bank account is, how, how great my stature is in the world. That's talking about being alive and full in God. And walking through this, read your Bible and look how these people of faith walked through. They didn't walk around suffering. They didn't walk around pain. They didn't walk around death. They didn't live in denial of that. They walked through it. And the Lord, who is the Lord of the darkest valley, met them. And they acknowledged that with praise and thanksgiving. Dr. Christy Gottlieb writes, when Paul says give thanks in all circumstances, he's not saying repress your emotions about hard circumstances. But when we're emotionally honest and connect vulnerably with God, it helps us receive Jesus' grace and love and truth, and this becomes this wellspring of gratitude. When we're honest before God, 
And we can say, Lord, I love you. I thank you. I thank you that you're good to me, even though I don't even feel it. Remember the psalmist, Psalm 27? Most of that psalm is not good, but his last words are, I know this. Remember this. I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait, I say, on the Lord, and be of good courage. Wait on the Lord. But there's another truth, and we'll wrap up with this. The reason why this is so important when we start talking about flourishing is, is because when you are grateful, you actually are being more human. You're being more like the God who's created you to actually be more what God created me to be, you to be. We go back to those words in Genesis 1.26 that we never tire of, I never tire of these. Then God said, let's make mankind in our image and in our likeness. We are made in his image, and God wants us to reflect his image, and we all would probably say amen to that. But what does this have to do with gratitude? Gratitude begins with the heart of God, and it signals our identity as those who bear God's image. Listen to these words from Psalm 147. The Lord delights in those who fear him, who put their hope in his unfailing love. Just go through the Bible and look at how much the Lord delights. If you look up how much the Lord delights, you're going to find out he delights primarily in one thing. People. His people. You see, gratitude begins with the God who is grateful. God delights in those who desire him and want to be like him and serve him. Those who serve God and whose foundation and purpose is to praise, love, and serve God. My spiritual director helped me see this. And he said, God is full of gratitude. Hear this now. God is full of gratitude. He has truckloads of gratitude for those who are faithful. God sees your faithfulness and is grateful. What kind of God would not be grateful, and why would we want to serve that God? God is grateful for your faithfulness. For every time you sacrifice to come and show up here and worship as a community, God is pleased. He's grateful. For every time that you lay down your life for someone else, that you give of your resources for someone else, God is grateful. For every time you decide that it's not about you, it's about someone else, and you're going to go serve, God is grateful. For every time it's not about your preferences or the way you want things to be, but you want to figure out how to love people in the midst of it, God is grateful. We have a God who is so grateful when we reflect his image. And part of reflecting his image is that we be grateful because God delights in those who love him. God delights in those who serve him. So I just want to tell you today, I want to let you know that God is grateful for you every time you say yes to him. Every time he's grateful. And knowing that, we then can go live in this world, flourish in this world, Knowing, as Zephaniah 3 says, that the Lord delights in us and he sings songs over us.
I wonder what Jeff's Joy song sounds like or Joan's song. What about the Larry song? Bet you that one's pretty cool, right? What about the Adam song? Ed song, right? Roger song, the Paula song. God sings over us. So this is birth in our very identity as human beings, made in his image. If God is a grateful God, it means practicing gratitude engages us at the core of being more fully human, bearing the image of God. And so, in gratitude, flourishing is actuated. Gratitude puts clothes on our friendship with God. It's no longer just some utilitarian religious expression but a human encounter with the divine, a natural part of being truly, fully human. So our gratitude doesn't issue forth from a contractual duty-bound arrangement or serves a utilitarian religious purpose. It springs from who we were made to be and from the shared life with God. Perhaps no better letter in the New Testament that Paul wrote expresses the shared life with God better than the little book of Colossians where repeatedly he talks about being in Christ. These words give us understanding. Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. Amen and brought us into the kingdom of the Son. He loved, for he has rescued you. He has rescued me from the dominion of darkness. Thanks be to God. And brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So yes, that's how we activate flourishing. One way we activate flourishing. One crucial way. Something to think about as we go into Thanksgiving in our country this week. And that is where we also end this series in this service. It is time for us to activate flourishing by praising and giving thanks to God. So I'm going to ask our worship team to come. And we're going to just give praise to God. And today what I want to invite you to do is to praise Him, to lift Him up, to celebrate Him as we worship and praise Him. I don't know where you've walked this week. I don't know what's in your heart this week that's hard. We all walk in places that are hard and dark. I don't know where that might be for you, if there is that place this week. I don't know where it is that you just feel like you're going to burst at the seams with joy. But the Bible says, give thanks in everything. Praise Him in everything. Not denying those realities, good or bad, but including God in them. Connecting them to God and our life in Him. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my heart, Lord. Bring it all to Him. Psalm 92 says, It is good to praise the Lord, to make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Stand with me this morning and let's proclaim His love this morning. All praise the name of Jesus. I want to invite you today, choose praise, choose rejoicing, choose gratitude, 
this very day, choose flourishing in God. Thanks be to God that we can. Let's do this together.